you're listening to the five games of a special series of the games industry.biz podcast i'm james bachelor uk editor of games every month i am joined by a special guest to discuss their career over the course of five games their first their latest and three of their choice the conversation not only covers the games themselves but also the ways that they demonstrate how the games industry has changed over the years so far, we've mostly spoken to developers. So last month, we spoke to Remedy's Mikhail Kasarinan. Uh, we've spoken to Velen Studios' Guhabala, Team 17's Debbie Bestwick, uh, kind of a developer and publisher conversation there, and indie icon Mike Bithell. If you subscribe to the podcast on your podcasting platform of choice and scroll back through the feed, you can find all of these episodes. Today, we are finally branching away from uh, development into music composition. We are speaking to Jesper Kidd, the composer behind so many game soundtracks, I didn't even attempt to list them all because it would just be pointless me reading them out. Jesper, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for inviting me. Um, let's have a little bit about yourself to begin with. Like, What's your background? How did you first get into games composing? Well, um, I became part owner of a game company uh, when I was, I believe, uh, 18. Uh, my first game score came out when I was 17, and I started uh, writing music for games when I was about 15. Uh, and so it took a few years before the first one finally came out. So I've been, it's been ingrained in, uh, in, in my childhood. Um, I was part of uh, what's called the European demo scene. Uh, which is something I started on the Commodore 64. Um, it's a place where programmers, graphic artists, and musicians get together and they make this kind of music video. Uh, and it's all coded to the chip, you know? It's not like you're watching a video or something, you know? So it's all these programming tricks put together with design and art and logos, and then the music would, uh, you know, play as well and, and be timed to different things going on. And it would have, like, scroll text and communication with other demo groups and all this kind of fun stuff. So I got involved with that when I was, uh, when I got the Commodore 64, I think it was 14. Um, and so my friends were programmers, graphic artists, um, and musicians, and we started... Uh, spending more and more time doing these things. Then I moved on to the Amiga um, and uh, we got to a place where we felt we couldn't really go any further with our demos. We had kind of done, we did a demo called Hardwired, which was, was quite popular. Uh, you know, it stayed on the, the demo scene charge for over a year. It, w it was really something when, when, when we did that and we were like, how are we going to top this? wait we uh, you know and so we formed a game company and of course i'm i'm sure it it had been in the back of our minds it certainly was uh in the, in the back of my mind because we we were we were playing games and and very aware of 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 the games being released and these things um so yeah we started the game company our first game got sold to sega it was for the sega genesis and that is when we all moved from denmark to the states um, we did some, a few more games, three or four more games, and um, didn't get paid for the last few games we did. Uh, so the company got into like a lawsuit, which five years later they actually won. But of course, by that time, everybody had moved on. Um, so my friends went back to Denmark, started IO Interactive, and started making Hitman. Nice. Well, that very, very nicely leads us on to your first game.
Hitman Codename 47 was released in 2000 for PC, developed by IO Interactive, published by IDOS. Um, well, I mean, my first question was going to be, how did you come to work on this game? But I think you've pretty much covered that. I'm guessing they were like, ah, you know, we need someone to do the music. Where's Jesper? Yeah, you know, I was friends, of course, having grown up with these, uh, with the founder of, of IO Interactive and... Um, you know, I, I did think about moving back to Denmark for a bit, but, um, you know, I'm becoming part of, of, of IO Interactive, um, but decided to stay in the in the U.S. I wanted to make music for uh, lots of games, and um, I felt that making music for one game every few years, I, I felt I had a lot more music in me than that. Um, so, yeah, the first game, Hitman Codename 47, um, uh, was um, was released in, in, in 2000, and the music score on that is actually quite unusual uh, in, a, in the sense that it was made in a music system called Direct Music, which was a, a Microsoft program. Uh, it was very database-driven and one of the very early interactive music systems for PC and it was really a nightmare to work in, I must admit. So I wrote all the music, uh, you know, in my studio and then work on finding a way to convert all that music into the system. I, I simply couldn't get creative writing the music inside that system. Uh, it's not like these, you know, sequencer and software programs we use today, which are very creative to work in. Um, so that was that was interesting, but it did allow us to do a lot of of, of um, cool interactive music things, you know, with this program. Um, so yeah. See, I was going to ask because I, you know this show obviously is is as much about comparisons to today than it is about the games themselves. Like it sounds like the tech was a lot more limited back then. Um, I mean, like, yeah, like just compared to, like, yeah, what sort of stuff are you working on nowadays, just for comparison? Well, the most advanced uh, interactive music system I've been involved with was for Borderlands 3 that came out last year. Um, that, uh, I mean, that was a, uh, a challenge to work. I mean, it, it, it's, um, it's a very interesting thing where you have... You know, you compose music in in all these different sections, and then you put them all back together, and you also do, you know provide a lot of layers uh, for the music to work in, and then all these layers can talk to each other. Um, so that you know, it is there's a lot of recording involved in that as well of as the writing, and you have to make sure that all these different parts that you write that they all fit together and then they can all play together and um it's it's a lot to think about and it 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 can get in the way of creativity if 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 you let it you know so it was almost like a battle you had to um not let the music program win because then you would lose out on creativity um, so it, it took me a little bit of time to, to get fully comfortable with a very complex system like that that Gearbox had made. Um, but, you know, I, I, I got there and, um, you know, once you're through with those experiments and you start feeling comfortable, the creativity uh, can flourish again. But, but that's really um, how I feel about interactive music systems. We have to make sure that we're not losing creativity just for the sake of interactivity. 
You know, if I pick up a coffee cup, that doesn't necessarily need to have its own sound. You know, you can over-engineer things, and that's when, um, you know, you're not going to have room for, uh, you know, long uh, long themes that expand and, and, and does its thing. You know, everything becomes like these short little things that you're listening to. And it will fit the game like a glove, but I feel that you're going to lose some depth. You know, I mean, it's music is not only about, you know, supporting everything you do. It's also about trying to go really deep and remind you about the story and, and what you're playing might not necessarily uh, be reflected, may, may not necessarily need to be reflected in the music. Because I like reminding people of things when they're playing something, even though they might not be playing that part of the game. I can certainly still remind people about the world, about the history, and about the story, mm. you know? Absolutely. We're going to de delve uh, deeper into Borderlands later on. Um, so let's, let's, let's focus on 2000 for now. What was the industry like back then in terms of opportunities for composers? Like you say, you, you, had, um, you had the advantage in that you knew the people at IR Interactive to begin with, but were there many opportunities for composers to go into these bigger studios and, and, and handle the music? You know, around 2000, I also started working on MDK2 for Bioware uh, and Messiah for Shiny Entertainment. Um, I knew uh, one of the people that came out of the, um, the company we were working with uh, before IO Interactive was started uh, was a, 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 a company called Scavenger, and there were different developers within that umbrella. Um, and so one of those developers um, uh, went to, uh, some of those people went to Shiny. So I had a, a connection with Shiny as well. Uh, you know, and Interplay was the, the owner, uh, the, you know, the overarching company. And then Shiny was one of their uh, developers. Um, and as far as, uh, you know, MDK2, that was Bioware. And I, I had sent them some music that they responded really well to. And so we, we started working on um uh, you know, MDK2. So this really was my uh, kind of introduction to the game industry. I mean, of course, I had, um, you know, my friends and, 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 and the company we had started. Um, but, you know, I had been inside this circle of friends, you know. So, so this was really my introduction to the game industry at large. Um, uh, and, and as far as opportunities... It's 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 kind of hard for me to to gauge because I felt like I very much was was leaving this circle of of, of friends and then starting to to work on other opportunities. But um, I certainly feel like um, if you if you had music that developers responded well to, there was a, you know a lot of opportunities out there. So what was your approach to composing the first Hitman then? So I have to, I have to confess I. I was a very late entry to the Hitman series. It, Absolution was my first one. Um, wasn't overly fussed on it. And then uh, I discovered the 2016 one, like the episodic one, and I absolutely love the you know love the the modern entries in the series now. My only memories of Codename Codename Forty Seven were watching my cousin play because he 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 wouldn't let me play. He had to show me how you had to do each of the missions. Um, but from what I remember the music and from what little I've been um, from what I've been able to listen to on Spotify earlier today, it's a very kind of different style. It's it's quite it, it as much as it's done with um, uh, uh, simulated music uh, 
system it, it's trying to sound very orchestral from what i gather like what was how are you defining the sound of hitman as it was back then yeah when i worked on hitman um i you know hitman to me is a very kind of stylish you know elegant classy uh epic world yet very modern and and innovative and you know the the and 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 what we talked about was something more epic and orchestral and uh you know with choirs and and, and these kind of things so uh, i would say the inspiration was much more um about like this classical opera you would be playing almost you know that was what i was inspired by it was very um uh, you know, I mean, epic just doesn't quite describe it, you know, but it, it certainly had this, um, there was a lot more going on than what you were just doing in that moment, you know, it was something larger than life that you were part of, that these missions really, uh, you know, had a, a very, um, you know, like a, a, a big, uh, you know, it was, you know, world-changing missions. You know, you would go to the White House and, and, and stuff like this and, and sneak in there and do and do some damage. It felt very, uh, very epic to me. So so that was the the, the style I was, I was going for. And also, it, there's a very uh, interior mindset type of composing technique uh, that I used, which I've also used on uh, Assassin's Creed. Um, and, and really trying to get inside the head of uh, 47 and feeling, uh, you know, kind of how he's feeling. Um, and I am looking at him as, as like the Zen master, you know, as he goes and, and gets in more and more trouble, you know. Um, and so that that was very much the approach I took on this. So you, you can have music playing when you're in, 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 in location like a Las Vegas casino that encourage you to explore and you will explore um and then as soon as you you know find a key from someone you 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 stole it from and then you you perhaps you you know you kill him and you take his clothes and you're able to gain access to another area where you're definitely not supposed to be then the whole thing changes and the music becomes you know much more suspenseful um and then by the time you are in some really high stake mission and deep in, for example, the White House and, and doing things you absolutely should not be doing, uh, you can have this big opera choir just just really like chanting and, and it just becomes this thing. Uh, and, and that was very, uh, very much something we, we thought about. How can we just keep things uh, on, on this type of scale where it just gets more and more um involving for the game player you know it's not necessarily that it get more and more intense but it just gets uh more emotional and it gets deeper and and by the time you're in some of those really high stake missions you will have a a 90 piece orchestra and a 60 piece choir just blasting away you know singing these huge chants that that just encourage you you know and and makes you feel like a total badass it must be a bit of a balance um 
particularly for a game like 40 uh, for 47 particularly for a game like hitman because my memory of, of game soundtracks back in kind of the 2000s that kind of era is you will generally have music playing all the time and as you said like you know it might shift depending on the mood depending on what's happening it might shift from kind of combat to suspense but generally there is music just constantly nowadays you do get a lot of games where it's silent or the music is really really quiet and then ramps up in the the action moments like how do you and particularly because something like um hitman you know in the world like i you know asian asian 47 isn't hearing 90 piece orchestras and 60 piece choirs as he runs around taking down the bad guys like so there's almost that disconnect there like how do you balance basically not taking it too far you know but that's how he feels you know so the, mm. the, you know so when you play it and you know you're just sitting there with a with a joystick right or a gamepad so you obviously are not feeling the same as if you were actually in his shoes in that moment in that world so there has to be a way that we can we can you know uh, uh, amplify that you know, so so that's what I feel the music does. It it amplifies that. It it goes in and it, it it tells you how does he feel about this this whole situation, and it also perhaps helps justify why is he doing what he's doing in these things. And I do agree that there tend there tends to be a, a better implementation in games these days. Um, but for the Hitman games and the games I work with with IO Interactive back then. I was very much involved with the implementation. Um, I would play those games so much, and then I would write long, long lists and emails about how I felt all the music should work, and and they would implement it that way. Uh, and one of the key aspects was making sure there was pauses in the music. I never wanted people to feel, the, you know, the music gets annoying or. Uh, that it's playing all the time because then when it does you know then you can't come back and make an impact with the music you know if it's always there then it becomes wallpaper you know, then it's just there to be there a game should be able to work on its own uh, you know and create an atmosphere and the music helps propel the story or the important of moments or it encourages you to explore and all these things. But it shouldn't be that, oh, there's no music playing right now. Now the atmosphere in the game totally doesn't work. That, I mean, so of course, you know, that that, that makes totally sense, right? Um, but but yeah, I mean, I, I think in implementation have gotten better and, and audio implementation teams have gotten much larger. Um, but of course, I don't want... Uh, you know, music not to be played or not to be heard. Uh, there's a balance there that I think we're always trying to uh, to find. I would quite happily di dive into the rest of the uh, the Hitman series with you, but unfortunately, we are limited to five games, uh, and we have four more to go. So let's move on to your second game. Uh, 
Assassin's Creed 2, released in 2009 for PS3 and Xbox 360, later brought to PC and Mac, developed by Ubisoft Montreal, published by Ubisoft. Um, we will get on to the absolutely iconic piece of music we just heard. First of all, um, how did you come to work on this project? You'd already worked on the first Assassin's Creed, so how did, how did you get that role? How uh, did I get to work on the first Assassin's Creed? Yeah. Yeah, so I... Um got to work on Assassin's Creed uh, when Ubisoft reached out um, and they uh, were looking for um, music for a new game they had uh, and, and, and I sent them some music and they, that resonated with the team. Um, I remember specifically uh, Patrice uh, Desolette, um and, and Jade Raymond showing me um, concept art from the game at an at a E3 show. Uh, they invited me up in, in, a, in, a, in their hotel room and I was looking uh, and I just could not, I could not believe what they were showing me. This was such a, um, it, it was so, first of all, super innovative, but nobody had ever done anything like this where you could just look at something that looked like a, a city and a town and you could just go anywhere in the map oh yeah you can you can go over there you can crawl over there uh, it, you know i felt like gta 3 started doing things really innovative around that time as well where they put the gta world in 3d suddenly and and suddenly you could explore this this, this large open world in 3d um but assassin's creed did it with uh, traversing and uh with with a platform aspect where you you could um running around this with this world i could not believe what i was seeing um and then when i traveled to uh to the team they uh, in in montreal they showed me these early tests um and they were based around uh mood lighting and and coming up with a very like romantic setting uh, you know in italy uh, during the renaissance and and i i did, i'd never seen anyone making uh, you know, you, here you have a, a game about, you know, assassination, and they're mostly talking about, you know, romanticism, and, and it was very unique. Um, so when I saw that, I knew I had to create a very atmospheric score. Mm. And you certainly managed that with. Uh, so as we said, we've just heard. Uh, I believe it's Epsio's family is the uh, the name of the theme that we've just heard. Um, that's kind of become the theme for the Assassin's Creed franchise. Like even even like later entries where Ezio does not appear, have on the soundtrack have like a, an updated version of Ezio's family, either because there's a callback to those games or just because that's it's just become that integral to the the franchise musically. Um, was that the plan when you wrote that piece? Is that it was like right? This is going to be the theme tune for the franchise. No, you know I don't think you can plan that kind of thing. Um... I mean, the, it was, of course, written for Ezio and, and the loss of his family when he lost his, uh, his two brothers and his father uh, in this devastating event where they were, uh, you know, hanged in the square in front of him and he had no idea why. Uh, he didn't know his father was an assassin and was a member of the secret uh, society. Um, so that, that was, uh, you know, that was what it was written for, but, like, it, it's true. Ubisoft has started using it in, in in every Assassin's Creed game as the overarching theme. And the way I look at this theme now is it's it's a theme about sacrifice, uh, sacrifice about being an assassin and what it takes and what it does to your family. Um, 
you know, being part of the secret society. Um, and I think it very much, you know, works in that, uh, with that perspective as well. There's a kind of a, a truthness to that lifestyle that that track uh, encapsulates. And uh, I'm ecstatic that to hear all these different versions of it. It's, it's really cool. I do like hearing the different versions, like hearing them tuned to the the era um, or at least the rest of the soundscape of, of each Assassin's Creed game. I believe, is there, I, I thought I'd found a Valhalla version of Ezio's family, or, or am I mistaken in that? I did return to Ezio's family for Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and um, I did a new version of, of that, a, a Viking version, um, a more uh, a subtle, uh, low-key uh, version, um, which is um, exactly what the game, you know, uh, and the soundtrack um, uh, feels like you know to me, um, but yeah, it was it was really fun to return to that track and and and, and get to do a new take on it with um, you know with Viking instruments and Ina Selvig on vocals. The the use of Ezio's family though brought me onto um, kind of a rant of mine, not a rant. That's too strong a word. Um, just a, a, a slight bugbear of mine. Um, I'm I'm a massive soundtrack nerd. I love my soundtracks, um, and what has bothered me over the last couple of decades is and this is not just in games it's in tv and film as well you don't get as many or it feels like you don't get as many recognizable themes um so you you think back to like the early you know, the most iconic you know uh video game themes you know your mario your zelda your metroid your sonic you're like they're all from kind of the like the 90s you know okay you got like you know the your early 2000s with like the halo theme that that choral chant but you think of like the games of the last 10 years like the big games the last 10 years and like it's very difficult to say uh, you know, to like hum the theme to someone like, oh yeah the theme for the last of us goes like this it's it's hard when i when i'm doing this show when i'm doing um, the five games of i try and find the most recognizable piece of music from each game to introduce it to kind of give that that feeling of like ah you know yes here we go this i recognize this i know what we're going to be talking about and sometimes it can be difficult um I just kind of want to get your thoughts on like the use of of theme of the use of a theme tune nowadays. Like it, it feels. Am, am I fair in saying that that fewer people define like a an, a a standout theme that can be used across multiple games? You know, that's a good question. I mean, uh, I don't know. I um, it's a tough one to answer. Um, you, I do feel like I look at it like this. I, I feel video games, there is a opportunity there to write a ton of themes versus if you're writing a film and TV. And as I write more and more film and TV, that difference does become more and more clear to me. Um, especially in film and TV, you are, you are focused on creating a, a small handful of themes that will return in different variations throughout the show or the, the the movie and that's how you help communicate the story and how you 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 know this character is back on screen so his themes is now back on screen we don't do that as much in video games because there's so much focus on scoring the actual setting as well um, the actual world like a typical video game soundtrack release you know, if it has 50 tracks on him, it's not unusual to say 45 of those tracks are all different. I mean, 45 of all those themes are all different. 
the the reoccurring theme when you are playing 60 hours or 100 hours of a game, you, you cannot just have a reoccurring theme come back and say this is the main theme it's going to play all the time. You can do that in a film because it's two hours. Uh, so there are very big differences in, 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 in the way we're scoring these types of, of, of projects. And um, also, you, you know, video games, sometimes I look at video games like scoring movies in slow motion. And what I mean by that is um, you have a regular scene in a film and I don't, you know, it can go through like five different moods in, in 30 seconds, right? Where you're, you're waiting for the bus, then you're running after the bus, then people inside the bus are waving and laughing at you and the bus crashes into a tree and they cut back on the guy who missed the bus who then thinks, oh God, I'm glad I didn't get that bus. So that was just like five, four or five different emotions in like 20 seconds, right? But for a game, it doesn't work like that. You know, when you're waiting for the bus, you're like, okay, you know, I want to wait for the bus for two minutes uh, and maybe the bus goes and you don't go out, get on it. It just keeps going. So suddenly you have music for the bus stop that lasts two minutes, three minutes because the gamer decides what to do. Um, you know, then maybe he goes in the bus. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he runs after the bus. I don't know. you got so many options. And then you have to have music for running after the bus, you know, and, and maybe that sequence, they want to make that into an elaborate sequence in the game. So suddenly that's two minutes of music. You know, um, so every little thing you do in a game needs to be expanded. Um, you know, suspense, tension, combat. You can stay in those game states for a long time. Um, that means, you know, that that is t very different from scoring film where you work so much on how the music transitions into each other to give the scene flow. That flow is determined by the gamer in video games. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, that does. I was I was about to ask actually, like how you handle transitions when you you cannot account for, you cannot predict what the player is going to do. You can you can predict what they're expected to do in terms of, um, okay, like you know, uh, let's do Assassin's Creed. Like there, you know, there's a target in this area, so you'll know there's going there's likely to be tension as he you know as the player stalks the target, and then a climatic moment as he kills the target, or then a dramatic moment as he fails it and escapes and you can kind of predict in that situation in that immediate situation what is likely to happen if the player is playing ball but if the player is suddenly just going to run around and just be silly because players can because they have that option like it must be really difficult to kind of develop music that yeah that, that flows from one to the other because you can you can plan like right my suspenseful music will end with this sort of tone because that tone very easily shifts into this tone at the start of the either the climactic or the escape music but if it's the running around like a silly person music, like not that you have that music in Assassin's Creed, but do you, do you know what I mean? Like there's um exactly it. That's exactly you, you it. You know, yeah. because you can decide when you're in that mission. Oh, I'm just gonna exit this mission, and I'm just gonna go over here, and because I think I saw something over here, that I'm gonna look for it because maybe there's a little secret in there. Uh, so then suddenly you just disengage that mission, and and that has to have a natural transition that just calls for an end to that you know whatever cue you that was playing in that mission and then you have other mu music that comes in which is like encouraged you to explore or maybe as you approach this area over here you thought you saw something over there then maybe some music comes in over there and you're like yeah there's actually probably something here because the music is kind of helping you know give it away a little bit you know it's like encouraging you to go deeper into this area over here 
Um, I mean, you know, we do a work with transitions as well. That's an important thing to emphasize, as well, you know. Um, but I, I think um, what's so... What we have to remember is that when a, a gamer is in one of these game states, the music can't just like keep building for example oh i'm gonna write a two minute suspense cue that just keeps building because that you know that's what you would do in a movie scene you know because you know when that guy in that scene is going to you know come upon that monster you know exactly when it's going to happen in a film because you've just watched it and you score it um but we can't make all these kind of dynamic of you know crescendos and all these things because we don't know when the gamer is going to come in contact with that monster so when someone asks you okay we need suspense music you have to create an atmosphere that pretty much stays in a suspenseful mode throughout you know um you try to add as many ideas and and as much uh variation and entertainment in the music but it, it can't just go off and and start building and building because what happens when you're at the very top of this you know building climax and the game i was like eh, i'm not ready to go over there yet <laughs> then you somehow have to find your way back to the beginning of the track you know because these traps loop right uh so there's a lot to think about when when you're writing uh music like this and it is very very different from writing music for film and tv yeah i can imagine i'm i'm hearing in my head um the Dark Knight, uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight, there was a scene, I can't remember, there was a scene between Batman and Joker, like it's building up to a climax and there's just this drawn out violin that builds ever so slowly for, it's probably only a couple of minutes. Right. If you hit that in a game and that was drawn out for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes because the player still wasn't doing what you expected it to do, right. it just would not work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Yeah. Um, before we move on to your next game um, I kind of want to get your thoughts on Assassin's Creed in general um, we're going to come back to Valhalla later spoiler alert for the final game of the, <laughs> of the show um, you scored uh, Assassin's Creed the original the, and the Ezio trilogy so you scored uh, Assassin's Creed 2 Brotherhood and Revelations I believe you then ducked away I think there were a couple of other Assassin's Creed projects you did but in terms of the actual mainstay games you moved on to other projects um, we've touched on how they used uh, Ezio's family but what are your thoughts on like how the the soundscape, uh, the, the the tone of the series has has evolved because obviously each each game, the joy of Assassin's Creed, like each game is unique, each each setting is unique. There are consistencies, obviously, this is Assassins versus Templars and all the Animus nonsense and all this, but the the setting, yeah, the the gameplay mechanics are the same, but the setting, the story, the world is different every time, and yet it is part of this cohesive universe, and it's had so many different composers. Just just wondered your thoughts on like how well they've made each each entry stand out but also feel connected and feel like right yeah this is an assassin's creed soundtrack right uh so yeah i worked on the first four um main assassin's creed titles assassin's creed assassin's creed 2 assassin's creed brotherhood and assassin's creed revelations um and now assassin's creed valhalla um and uh, the music style that we came up with for Assassin's Creed 1 was very much inspired by the Animus. It's something that, um, it was important that the Animus was a part of the soundtrack and the part of the sound for this game. Um, you can run across rooftops being chased and that's when you get the most modern music in Assassin's Creed 1. Um, uh, when you have these chase sequences and and it it almost sounds like the animus is 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 breaking or is is tearing and there is some scream tearing as well all this is is done on purpose and uh, um, and that became um 
the, the, the that kind of philosophy has become the sound of Assassin's Creed, where you have the Animus, which is this device that can go into your genes and your DNA, uh, where you have uh, memories stored from your forefathers, um, and this machine can read those memories, and then you are able to relive them, as the Animus are able to sequence these uh, events together. So you, you know, so so you, so what we do as composers, we remind you that you are inside a simulation, and that allows us to um, go beyond the the actual setting um, and infuse the setting with electronics and synthesizers and, and distortion and um, you know things that you know doesn't necessarily feel like it's part of that. Uh, authentic vibe that you're trying to 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 work on for that uh, moment in history, but that is what makes um, Assassin's Creed sounds like sound like Assassin's Creed. On to your third game then, Darksiders 2, released in 2012 for PS3, Xbox 360, PC and Wii U. Uh, I, I don't know why I'm laughing there, I love the Wii U, I will always defend the Wii U. Developed by Visual Games, published by THQ. Um, how did you come to work on this title then? Yeah, Visual Games reached out to me. Uh, they were looking for a fantasy soundtrack for a game they were working on, and they were specifically looking for something unusual, something that they hadn't heard before. Um, they were making... A game about death, um, designed with character design and, and, and world design by um, Joe Mad. And as soon as I heard, first of all, Joe Mad being involved is, is amazing. I am a fan of his comic books, and also the fact that they were looking for something really unusual for for, for, for something that should, you know, kind of like a, a game about death is almost a no-brainer that the music will be dark. <clears throat> But no, um, that's not what we what we uh, set out to do. Um, it 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 it's very much about um, and, and also I should add that it's a game about the afterlife. Um, so even though you do play death, a, a big part of the game takes place in in these different realms. You you have like the death planes, the the demon realm, the angel realm, uh, earth realm. Uh, so you travel to these different different realms beyond the off, you know, in in the afterlife, I should say, uh, and that became, you know, the inspiration for the game, focusing on what does the arf, what could the afterlife feel like, um, and and that was really something I kind of had to, uh, uh, you know. Go look inside and and, and and get to grips with a few things. Um, you 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 don't just phone that something like that in, right? I mean, not that I do that, but this was something that I was really gonna have to, uh, uh, you know, think about and experiment with to find that sound, and that became the the the, the, the focus on that. Um, simply became the afterlife, and that is certainly not something that I think is a 
is a dark place. It's kind of the opposite of death, really. Nice. Oh, I mean, that, that was something I was going to ask is... By 2012, you've composed for a lot of games. But in terms of this conversation, we've t- spoken about two. We've spoken about Hitman and Assassin's Creed uh, 2. And these are games where they are set in the real world, um, albeit Assassin's Creed is set in two parts of the real world, you know, in, in history, but with, with echoes of the future obviously interfering via the animus. Um, Dark Side is, is entirely a fantastical world. It's, it's entirely fantasy. What's the difference in your approach when it comes to... And instrumentation and theme and uh, all these other musical terms that I keep hearing but but can't use confidently. Like how is how different is your approach when you are develop and you're composing something that is set in a fantasy world versus something set in our world? Is it, do you do different things? Well, um, that is a good question. I when I worked on Darksiders too, I I feel like the amount of instruments and the amount of um, freedom I had on that project especially since they were looking for something so undefined and so abstract uh, you, you you know the palette of music instruments um, could be said was, was was wider but then everything I learned on Darksiders 2 I've, I've taken with me and used on other scores that are more grounded so so you know the more you learn the the, 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 the more outside the box you you tend to get as, as far as you know you, I'm not going to have new ideas and then not bring them with me on the next project even if it isn't a fantasy project so i did learn a lot on dark siders too i mean there's some interesting instruments there that i probably wouldn't use um uh, you know like there's a lot of organ music in there which is an unusual instrument um and but then there's all the more Celtic-based instrument, like uh, you know Celtic vocals and bagpipes and and these these types of uh, lots of flutes and uh, it it you know so I don't really look at it like that I I I take the um, you know the information that's giving me the the concept art speci- especially the concept art for Dark Souls Two was a huge inspiration for me. This is what the the graphics team and the game designers are looking at when they're making the game. And um, I composed a large part of that score to the concept art. It was such uh, incredible art and and, and so atmospheric. Um, uh, So, you know, you want to go... I want to say that you have more creative freedom because they're nothing really defined because your world-building... 100% 100% your own world here and, and nobody can tell you how this world is supposed to be because this world doesn't exist. Um, but I do take everything I learn with me and, and use on, the, on, on, on future projects, you know. Nice. There's another key difference here I was interested in, which is um, compared to the previous two games we've talked about, Dark Side is a bit more of a, a linear or directed experience. You know, Hitman are... Hitman was set in very kind of sandbox levels. Players could go any direction, any route. They could find their own solution to uh, how to, to take out the target. Assassin's Creed, similarly, on, on a larger scale, like you say, like, you know, these huge cities. Um, so I guess that gives a, a different sense of scale when you are composing. Um, but Darksiders, and, the, you know, then Darksiders 2, they're, they're just that little bit more linear. Like, you know 
you know the route players are going to take through the game. You know the route players are going to take through the world. Does that uh, does that affect how you approach? I mean, presumably that helps with like the you know, the transitions we were talking about earlier. You at least know how to like transition to the from the tone of one area to another. Right. That that is absolutely correct. And uh, but I didn't. I don't think. I don't think it really uh, changes that much for for a game like Dark Souls Two. That game is a, a huge game, and it takes a very long time to play through that game. I think uh, 15, 20 hours, perhaps. I'm, I'm, yeah, I've certainly played it for a very long time. Um, and so when you have games that are that big, you, you still can't go and say, even though we know the path, well, you know, we're going to have this music from this moment to that moment. Well, that, that's not going to work because if you play the game for 20 hours and I compose two hours of music for it, uh, this music is going to have to be tied to much more than just you crossing that bridge. Do you know what I mean? Because I, if I give you just two minutes for that crossing bridge, then what, what, what is it? You know, we have to be able to find ways to have music support the game for, for 15, 20 hours. Uh, and this, you know, we're certainly not going to compose a 20-hour score. Um, so, so that depends. You know, other games are much shorter. Uh, it could take you six, seven hours to go through, and and, and if it's linear, uh, in situations like this, you can certainly have the composer write a seven-hour score, and then you have, um, you know, a, a different music throughout the entire journey. Um, but again, Dark Siders Two is such a big game. You you can spend a really long time in these dungeons, um, and it was important for us to. Uh, work w- more with the actual uh, theme of the setting which was the afterlife uh, than than so much uh, you know than death going from here to here you know what did it sound like when you cross a bridge i don't really care you know i don't know if the gamers care uh, but they will certainly hopefully care much more about what it feels like to be in the afterlife in this region of it and then you draw an inspiration from that region um, and then perhaps you're 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 pulling in parts of the story as well. But again, you have to be careful about how you pull in parts of the story if you do it very specifically, because you don't really always know where in the story the game the gamer is. You know, it, it's 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 you know, or if he decides to exit the story, then we still have to have music for that. One last thing on uh, Darkseid is obviously you scored Darksiders 2, but you didn't score Darksiders 1. Um, the games we've talked about so far, you have been uh, instrumental in, <laughs> there's a pun, instrumental in composing the music for the first. So you composed the music for the first Hitman, for the first Assassin's Creed. How different is it? coming into a series where there is already a previous game, there's a previous soundtrack, there's a previous musical template, do you stick to that? Do you take it in your own direction? You've obviously got to kind of keep it fairly in keeping with the game and in keeping with fan expectations, but equally you want to put your own stamp on it. Like, How do you balance that? For Darksiders 2, they wanted something completely different from the first Darksiders. Um, so uh, I was specifically asked not to pay attention to the first Darksiders score. So it, it is all new themes um, for all new world. Um, so so that, that didn't matter for me for Darksiders uh, 2 because I was specifically asked not to. Um, but so yeah, I mean it. It's I'm not. Uh, I it. It's true to what you what you're saying. You know, I am usually there at the beginning on a lot of these franchises, like Borderlands as well. Um, so it's not something that um, 
I've worked with that much. I I have a really um, kind of a I don't know. I I I feel I have a little bit of a different approach. Um, so I feel my strength is coming up with with you know with unusual or or new ideas, and it's very much the kind of projects that I like to be part of where I can bring um, all my strength to the project. Things that I feel I'm you know, where I have something something to offer. And uh, that very much has to do with, with coming up with the DNA of a, of, a, of a sound. I don't go into it thinking it's a franchise anyway. I, you know, you, you look at the game and you, uh, you, you dive into that world. Um, but that's, that's my uh, uh, philosophy on that. Mm. Um, let's, let's kind of pause for a moment then. I, I just realized we're kind, of, we're kind of halfway through... We're definitely halfway through the episode, but we're halfway through the the span of time that these five games are set across. So, Hitman was uh, 2000. Obviously, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is 2020. Uh, Darksiders 2012, kind of in the middle. So was Assassin's Creed 2. But like 2012, by this point, how different was the industry compared to both compared to kind of 2000 when when we you know the the start of our conversation, and then compared to today? Well, like what's improved? What has yet to improve in terms of um, tech? In terms of budget, for example. Right. <clears throat> around uh, 2012, um, I would say that's around the time that uh, a lot of artists uh, and film composers starting making music for video games. Video games were, were a proven ginormous business model. I think at that time, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at that time we already had or were surpassing the music industry and the film industry um, as far as revenue. Uh, so you know it would it would it was just becoming a a, a bigger and bigger uh, industry as far as um, implementation and techn technology. I mean, obviously, as consoles gets get faster and faster, you get more and more CPU that you can allocate to audio. Um, so you know you you have options now to do really uh, advanced interactive music with lots of layers and uh, lots of uh, you know combinations of uh, of of things um but it's it's not like it's a it's 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 not like it's a huge difference really i would say the the big difference really was more from 2000 to 2010 or something you know where it went from being kind of a you know people you know we were i don't know it was kind of an outsider industry a little bit right and then suddenly it just became kind of the it the it thing to be part of almost Okay, game four is Borderlands 3, released in 2019 for Xbox One, PS4, PC, Mac, and Google Stadia, developed by Gearbox Software, published by 2K Games. Um, and as much as I, I, I say Borderlands 3, you've done the whole series, so I think we can talk safely about like the entirety of Borderlands rather than one specific game. How did you first come to be involved with the, the, the series? Yeah, um, I first got involved when, when Gearbox reached out to me and, and, and showed me what they were working on. And uh, back then, the game wasn't quite... Uh, it was quite early. Um, this was before the game was starting to take uh, shape. Um, 
and uh, but I was still really fascinated with with this this idea of Pandora and and being full of these what looked like kind of outlaws, kind of you know anarchists, and the, it there was something really unusual and 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 fun uh, you know about this kind of embracing the the anarchy and the craziness and the, the everything was very over the top uh so i was very excited about that when i first started working on that um and um it's uh, yeah it, that's that's how i began working on borderlands and then of course it became all these other games borderlands 2 borderlands 3 pre-sequel um, and then I worked on a bunch of DLCs as well. Claptastic Voyage being a really fun one. That was quite a, a large DLC for for pre-sequel. It's 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 been a lot of fun. So how do you set the tone for something like? Because Borderlands has got a very distinct tone visually and in terms of humor. Um, and I ask that because. I love the original Borderlands soundtrack. I, it's genuinely one of the albums I stick on while I'm working. I just listen to the the kind of the ambience and I kind of I, I skip the combat tracks because that can sometimes be a bit disruptive. But like the, um, the Firestone, that sort of uh, that sort of music, I love just having that in the background. And it's you listen to it and like I obviously instantly associate it with the game because I, I've played the game. But I can imagine if someone hasn't played Borderlands, they listen to something like Firestone, like some, in some of those more ambient tracks. And picture almost like a spaghetti western or something a little grittier and less cartoonish, less comedic, if that makes sense. Like, does uh, I mean, yeah, how did you were you trying to get across comedy because it is essentially a comedy game, it's action, but like it's very, very comedic tone to it. Were you trying to get across comedy in the music or were you purposefully avoiding that to kind of make the, the comedy stand out a bit, I guess? We were not putting comedy in the music that was a very um very clear that that was not going to be our approach for, in, on any of the borderland game soundtracks there's a very fine line you, you walk there and if the music starts to feel comedic we felt that it, it lost something you know we wanted the music to really support these environments and make them more immersive um and and by adding this comedic thing we we it it would lose a lot of the um the authentic nature that that even though the graphics are fun to watch it's still incredibly detailed you know so it, it, there's a there's a very fine line there we the music can be fun but it can't be comedic that's how i would put it hmm no, I definitely say you manage that. Definitely, yes, it's definitely fun, but not comedic at points. And um, uh, famously, Borderlands originally didn't have this distinct visual style it's come to be known for. Like I've, I've seen, there are screenshots already, you know, still out there. Like it was originally this a bit more grittier, more realistic looking, or you know, very very brown sort of game. I believe the first one was two thousand eight. Um, and 2008 was just the height of industry brown. Everything was real, and real was brown. That was just how how we all uh, how how developers kind of approach things. Um, did the the how how early were you on the project? I guess because like basically when they shifted from this this more realistic look to this comic book esque art style, did that change how you approached the music, or was uh, that was that already in place before you were on the sh on the game? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, when I first when they first showed me Borderlands, it did not have the cell shading, uh, and it did. It was something that was added in the uh, from my perspective in the middle of production. Um, I was uh, lucky, I guess, in that it didn't. We didn't need to go back and rescore the music when that was uh, applied. It still felt right, and perhaps it felt. Uh, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> uh, that was set myself up there. Um, but no, uh, I, I feel we we didn't we did not have to go back and and recompose the music. It still was was a great fit, even though the, this this new cell shading was applied and and gave it this really with this really fun look. Hmm. Nice. How then have you taken it from from the original Borderlands up to Borderlands Three? How have you evolved it over the series? Because as as we the, the franchises we've talked about so far, you were involved at the start, or at least you know kind of early on with Darksiders Two, um, but then you've moved on to other things. Borderlands Three, Borderlands Three, Borderlands. You have been there um, from the beginning and and throughout. Like, are there advantages to being the composer for a whole series? Are there challenges in terms of you know trying to keep it? fresh because i i imagine imagine it makes it easier to to maintain a consistent tone and to keep everything within keeping you know keep the soundtracks for each of the games in keeping with each other but equally you don't want to make them all sound so similar that you're not delivering anything new right uh borderlands the approach that i've taken on 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 all the borderlands scores are the environment is a very big part of the sound of borderlands um, you know the story; it it's it's so out there often, and it's 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 so crazy, and and, and we can't score to these comedic um, moments. That's not to say I don't score the cinematics. You know I do, but um, again, since we can't tap into the story too much because it will end up sounding like a comedy. The focus is very much on the environments, and that's where um, it's always been the most important part, I feel. The number one thing we work on first is the environment and coming up with the sound uh, on these things. And, and you can see how that, you know, when you, you look at the different borderlands, it's, it's, the, the environment very much follows the music style as well, like whether we're on the, uh, you know, the moon or, or other places, it... it it really be, it really is a huge part of the Borderlands sounds um, scoring to the environment. Okay, well, I think it is time to move on to your final game. Assassin's Creed Valhalla released just last week uh, at the time of recording uh, in 2020 for Xbox One, PS4, PC, PS5, Xbox Series X slash S, Google Stadia, uh, developed by Ubisoft Montreal, published by Ubisoft. Uh, they got you back. How did they? How did they bring you back for Valhalla? Uh, well, Ubisoft reached out um, 
and uh, you know I, I uh, sent them some music and um, suddenly I find myself working on uh, Assassin's Creed uh, together with Sarah Schachner and uh, Ina Selvig it, it was amazing now, what had changed by this point? Like compared compared from when you last left the franchise, because like back when you did Revelations, uh, Assassin's Creed was big and was probably the biggest franchise for, or was becoming certainly was becoming the biggest franchise for Ubisoft. Now it is the flagship series for that company. It is tr- top top AAA tier gaming here. Like the the sheer scale of those games. I mean, blimey, I I I, I, I say it's developed by Ubisoft Montreal. They used to kind of specify that there was like 10 to 15 studios on each one. Like, as much as it was led by Montreal, certainly Origins had like 10 to 15 studios on it. So I assume the same is for Valhalla. So you have people all around the world working on this. This is huge. How does that affect the the resources available to you? Like, presumably you can have like a 180-piece orchestra now and all the Viking instruments you can imagine. (laughs) Well, when I worked on... I have to go back to Assassin's Creed 1 to answer that question because when Assassin's Creed 1 was made it was an uh, it it was a major effort on Ubisoft's part an incredible effort um and when that came out and and sold through the roof I believe it sold over 10 million units um Assassin's Creed was like had arrived and at that point I do feel it was the biggest title that Ubisoft you know, it it was their priority when Assassin's Creed Two was released. I mean, that that was already the top game for Ubisoft back then. Um, so so in a sense, you know, I don't think that the games have gotten. Uh, they've been the top priority for Ubisoft um, for a long time, and it it also was when I uh, worked on As- Assassin's Creed Two. It, it it felt very much that way. Um, so I don't think that's changed um, since I've, I've worked on the, the franchise back in, in uh, on Assassin's Creed 2. Um, it's true that there are more studios. I believe 16 studios were involved with this one. Um, and that is certainly uh, very impressive. And it, But it's, you know, when you're working on the game, you're so focused on... Um, trying to create something that deepens the world and, and fits the world that you you don't you don't think about any of these things you're 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 working hard to um you know accomplish your mission as a composer um so i wouldn't say that it necessarily um you know it gives me um any more resources of course there's a uh, you know, I don't know. I'm still, I still work with uh, with a with a audio director Simon Landry on the project, and what goes on uh, behind the scenes, who knows? You know, they're they're very good at protecting um, us f- uh, from from any uh, potential stress. You know, and and this is this is a, a great way to work, where you 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 have all these ideas and all this creativity you're trying to get out and. Um, you, you 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 can have deep discussion with 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 one person you got to be careful you don't get too many cooks in the kitchen and all these these things so i i don't i don't mm. see it as something that's changed no fair enough well the big change this time is that you're collaborating with two other composers um 
uh, Sarah Shackner in particular, like she had done the score for Assassin's Creed Origins, and I have to say, prior to Valhalla, no, I think this uh, Origins still stands as my favourite um, Assassin's Creed soundtrack. It's just it's such a superb soundtrack. No offence to yours, obviously, yours are absolutely superb. I just realised how bad that sounds, but I just particularly liked um, Sarah's work on uh, on Origins. How does that change the approach? Like having three composers um, working on the same game, like do you divvy up? Is like, right, I'll score this bit, you score that bit. Do you work on the tracks together? How does that even work? Yeah, Ubisoft gave us different areas to work on. Um, and also, so for example, I worked on uh, uh, exploration music in Norway, East Anglia, uh, Wessex, Northumbria. Um, and then when it came to the mission music, we both would be assigned the same cues. Uh, so if you, you needed, uh, let's say you, you need some, some suspense music, then we would both write a suspense cue. Uh, this is, of course, a simplified way of, think, uh, of, 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 of the approach. But that is, um, that is how we were, uh, everything was divvied up. Um, and I think that was very smart on, on, on Ubisoft's part to have us do some of the same type of cues because um, they're obviously going to get different results because we're different composers. Um, towards the end of the project, I collaborated with um, uh, Sarah on the main theme and, and, and um, Aina provided vocals for uh, Ezio's family ascending to Valhalla. Outside of those two cues... Um, uh, we were very much separated in in all the music writing. The tone of this game also is slightly different um, from the previous games you've done. Obviously, it's a different setting. Um, you know, the, there was a continuity across the three Ezio games for a start because they all centre around the same character. They're all centred in the same period of time, the same historical period. That period isn't too much longer after the original um when the original assassin's creed was set this is obviously set completely different it's 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 hundreds of years before the first assassin's creed um but there's also you've got asgard and jotunheim these mythological um areas in the game as well and then you've still got the presence of the anima so you've almost got three three strands here to follow you're trying to musically capture the tone of the viking age you know the historical tone of the viking age with the mythological atmosphere of asgard and jodenheim this whole norse mythology and then the sci-fi element of you know like of the fact that it's still set in the modern day it's still you know all of this is still a simulation in someone's head essentially how do you convey those those three strands across in in music well i you know the 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 DNA of the Assassin's Creed sound is like you say the animus and uh, reminding people that we are playing through a simulation it allows us to bring a modern take on um, uh, the age that the game is is setting and uh, adding synthesizers or or lots of filtering and and and, and you know Eurorag and all these. Uh, the, modern takes on, on, on things but I, I it's important not to kind of lose track of of um, what the game needs and the game when I see it you know it, it, it's I don't know speaks to me for for lack of a better way of putting it and also talking to Ubisoft about this it was very clear that the setting um, they were looking for something authentic one of the first things I was told was they were not looking for an orchestral score so there would be no orchestral instruments in there. 
I mean, I use a couple of, of, of solo instruments like solo cello and, and violin, but it's not used in a type of orchestral way. Um, it's, it's, and uh, so the setting really inspired the sound of, of the score for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. That was um, the first place I started working on, you know, coming up with the sound. And as you you know get into it and and a sound starts to emerge aspect of the story then starts finding its way into the music and you start paying more attention to that but the first part was definitely the setting how can we create something that feels authentic to this time period Jesper, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, that's brilliant. That is all we've got time for. Um perhaps perhaps one last question then. Um just just to kind of sound us out as it were where do you see like kind of soundtracks and and music in video games going in future like what what's the future of video game music obviously like as budgets increase as uh, productions increase you can get your hands on like more advanced resources and so forth but we've now got things like 3d audio on the playstation 5 like how can music really change in terms of how it's used in games well, perhaps one way that music will, will change in the future is that we are going to be able to supply a game with a... Like, I use a sequencer called Cubase, for example, which is widely used in the, wild, widely used in the, in the industry. Perhaps there will be one day, uh, you know, some kind of um, ability to take my Cubase session and uh, put it in the game and you know my hundred layers of sound that perhaps makes up one track is something that they could uh you know play around with to create more variation uh in the game so you have a music track that you send to them but they may be able to create like uh 10 different uh, you know variants on that track i mean of course i send them uh, individual stems as well that they play around with um but if if you had the entire session it, it's almost uh, unlimited how many um, variations you could do that could be one thing i also think perhaps another thing uh, that's going to keep um growing is applying like plugins and dsp effects to the actual music um so they could make a, a, a version that sounds uh, they could perhaps even remix your music just with plugins that the music systems are using um it's um it's interesting because in 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 film you're you're in the opposite uh world where you are creating and sending something that very much um is meant to sound the way you deliver it to them you know but in games if if this is the way it's gonna go it's like they can take our music and uh really kind of take it apart and um maybe you won't even recognize it anymore i don't know um but yeah that could be something Jesper, thank you so, so much for your time today. It's been brilliant having you. Um, on the off chance that people aren't already like following you on the internet or stuff, where can people find you and find your work? I'm on Instagram, kyd.jespr. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, forward slash Jesper Kid, Facebook. Uh, I'm on you know my website, jespercade.com, and I'm on YouTube as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's got a few things. 
Marvellous. Um, thank you, dear listener, for joining us for this. Um, we'll be back on Monday with your usual news show. Uh, be sure to scroll through the feed if you are already subscribed um, to check out previous five Game Ofs episodes and obviously the Game Developers Playlist, which is a separate spin-off series we do. Uh, it's where developers talk about a title that had a particular impact on their career. All of those are on the same feed. So if you're listening to this randomly and you haven't subscribed, do so, and then you get all episodes automatically. That is generally how podcasts work. In the meantime, you can get all the news, insight, and analysis into the world behind video games you could ever possibly want at gamesindustry.biz. <laughs>